your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture With Stick Around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast that doesn't have a monkey on its back More like Planet of the Fucking Apes Brought to you by Tafifi, foreign chocolate to E.T. That is dreadful. <laughs> dreadful. <laughs> Dreadfully good. Oh, yeah. Way up. Um, <laughs> we are here for films episode, let me just check, 25. We've hit the quarter of a century. Wow. In our first, uh, it is pretty huge. I'm here with, uh, as you can hear, film expert Alex Wayne. Hello. And film expert Michael Johnson. Oh, yeah. Dave uh, Peeling fell off the boat yesterday and we still haven't recovered him. Um, we do believe he's in a lifeboat fl- floating around somewhere, but just haven't yeah. been able to find him yet. He's got a bottle of rum with him. He'll be fine. Yeah, he has. Yeah. Sustenance. <laughs> I'm hoping that's not impeding his ability to steer his lifeboat, but can you even steer them? I don't know. <laughs> no, I think you just kind of paddle Float around a- and hope for the best. Paddle aimlessly at the water. <laughs> <laughs> He's floating around aimlessly, wow. I think I've put some gone-off cream in my coffee. Oh. That tastes suspect. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go for it anyway, you know. Helps your immune system. So, um, yeah, 25th film episode. Has everyone been watching lots of films? I've actually had quite, watched quite a few. Yeah, so have I. Uh, last time we recorded a film episode, I hadn't really watched that much new stuff. Um, but there's been a glut of uh, summer blockbusters slash summer, general summer releases of high to middling quality, um, which we're going to talk about a lot today. Michael, have you seen much? Seen a handful, yeah. Got a few cool. to talk about. Yeah, there is some. There's quite a lot of blockbusters which have been uh, horrendously reviewed, which I haven't seen. But uh, <laughs> there's some other some good stuff as well coming out in the last mm. few weeks. I, I like a good blockbuster. They're fun to go see at the cinema. Like, yeah, it's funny it's we, we've come a little. We're a little bit too early to review probably the biggest blockbuster of the summer and my most highly anticipated film, Dunkirk. Um, yeah. Listeners will have to wait another month for our take on that but because um, it comes out yeah, this week. But... We would have actually watched it, but uh, we, we were going to do it as a foursome and one of the foursome isn't back for two weeks, so we've, we're going to wait. <laughs> right. I can't But exa- excited to see it, yeah. Faux show. Right, let's, uh, let's get things kicked off. Let's start in... I always forget where you live, Michael. Eagles Cliff. Eagles Cliff, that's the one. How could you forget? <laughs> Is that like the uh, Ravens noise when they get a touchdown? Yeah, it's just like... Or the Eagles, in fact. Yeah, it should be. Yeah. My- Michael's estate has a little animatronic eagle where when you go past it, it just flaps <laughs> its wings and goes... <laughs> I wish that was a thing. True that. When you open the gate, it's like... In fact, the gate is just like a giant eagle. <laughs> sort of opens its wings up and then you go underneath them. It's amazing. <laughs> really good. Quite expensive, but you know. Michael's making the big bucks off this podcast now, so. Yeah. Anyway, Michael, what have you got? I, for I us? don't feel like anything I say is going to be as amazing as that was, but. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll dive in with um, Baby Driver. I think I think one of those films that Alex uh, was referring to, although maybe not a blockbuster, I don't know, but certainly a brick. I'm just going to let my cat in because she's a. Meowing. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> Otherwise, there's going to be lots of meowing in the background. It's going to get quite annoying. <laughs> yep, cool. Um, but certainly a, one of the breakout hits of the uh, of the summer. 
Uh, the latest film from Edgar Wright, director of Peg and Frost's Cornetto trilogy and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Uh, has a star-studded cast, um, although I wasn't familiar with the main star, Ansel Elgort, which I think we can all agree is a superb name. As yeah, the, yeah. Right up there with, um, what's his face from Hail Caesar? Armin, oh, what was he called? Who? Do you know what I mean? The um, the breakout star from Hail Caesar. Oh the yes, new Han, the new oh, Han Solo. He's part of a he's part of a new generation of uh, Hollywood actors with incomprehensible names, um, which is probably racist on my part. But uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, well, Alden was, Alden Ehrenreich. That's it. I was going to say he was so good in that that he doesn't deserve me to have forgotten his name. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Ansel Elgort as the eponymous um, getaway driver, baby who is part of a crime syndicate headed up by Kevin Spacey. And the film also stars John Hamm, Jamie Foxx, and Lily James as Deborah, Baby's love interest. The basic idea of the film is that Baby, because he suffers from tinnitus, um, likes to listen to uh, music quite compulsively while performing his, um, his driving, and indeed throughout his everyday life. So music is woven into the film's fabric from the very start uh, with the unforgettable opening soundtracked by Bell Bottoms by the John Spencer Blues Explosion. Uh, John Spencer has a cameo in the film as do rappers Big Boy and Killer Mike. Uh, anyone who's seen an Edgar Wright directed film before I think will know what to expect. It's highly stylized uh, with smash shots. Lots to love for Chase fans in this film I would say. Um, appreciating a good car chase in cinema myself. Uh, the dialogue's very snappy, very punchy, and is, I would say, my favourite aspect of the film. Most of the best lines go to Jamie Foxx's character, Bats. Uh, I did also enjoy the name of the character by um, bass, played by the bass guitarist Flea, uh, Eddie No-Nose, formerly Eddie the Nose. <laughs> <laughs> that is an epic name. Yeah. Um, um, my fave cameo is someone that you don't see in the film, well, at least as far as I'm aware, anyway. Um, Baby likes to secretly record um, everyday conversations that people have and then um, create his own mixes out of them. Uh, the central one to the film's plot, which I don't know if it's officially titled, but anyone who's seen the film will know what I'm referring to if I call it Was He Slow, um, is actually mixed by the Canadian turntablist Kid Koala. Um, so probably a cameo not a lot of people are aware of, but um, an excellent one. Mm. Uh, there's a shootout scene in the film where the action is perfectly synchronised to the music and it makes a sort of similar use of music in shootouts in an earlier film from this year, Ben Wheatley's Free Fire, look completely unambitious in comparison. It's really perfect the way that it's executed in this film. Um, this film's been ranked as the best of the year so far by a lot of people uh, from what I've seen. I think it's very fun. It's exactly what people go to the cinema for, I would say. Um, but it didn't transcend beyond that for me. I do have some criticisms of it. I was, I would say, although music is central to it, I wasn't blown away by the, sound, the actual song selections on the soundtrack. Um, didn't do anything particularly for me, um, even though the film is a very enjoyable synthesis of film and music. Uh, I thought the love angle was very one-dimensional. And even though I never... I don't criticise films for ha having to suspend your disbelief I do think that even in a film like this, in a genre film that is obviously far-fetched as it is, um, the plot can start to become untethered if there is a great deal of contrivance, and I thought that was the way it sort of went towards the end of the film. But I'm not going to criticise it too deeply for that. So don't get me wrong, I think this is a very solid 8 out of 10 film for me, and I think people should go and see it. Uh, it is a lot of fun. 
Yeah, I totally concur with that. Um, hugely fun. Um, I generally agree with your one criticism of it as well, your main criticism, that the plot can sometimes run away with itself, particularly without spoiling it. There's a certain change of character to, right at the end, which I found totally unbelievable. But um, not, not I loved it in general, though. Um, I don't know. How, I mean, I would say that the strength of this film is in as much with its editing as anything else. Yeah. How on earth you make a car chase or an action scene hit the perfect beats of certain music is beyond me. Mm. Um, really slick. Slickly really, edited. really slick, yeah. I thought I thought the stand-up performances were prob- well, Ansel, Ansel Elgott and Jamie Foxx and John Hamm for me. John Hamm actually, I think, um, hasn't got enough credit for this because um, he's particularly slick and sinister in my opinion. Yeah, um, yeah it's just a totally fun but intelligent action film. Um and I mean, I don't have a great deal to say in it. Like you, I, I really enjoyed it without being blown away per se. But it's just a perfect example of a genre film. And I think I've, I've heard it read that um, nobody could have made this other than Edgar Wright. And I think that's probably correct. Like, I don't know anybody other than perhaps Tarantino who has such deference to other genre pieces uh, who can, you know, take inspiration without, you know, being totally copycat. Yeah. Um, it's it, it it's an ability to be a fan, take inspiration from, without being derivative. Mm. Um, and yeah, Edgar Wright is, in that respect, probably the closest other filmmaker to Tarantino. Obviously, his fi- the films are nothing alike in a lot of respects. But um, <laughs> what's your cat's name again, Clive? Um, Luna. Luna. T- say hello. Very vocal, as you're Gu- about to find out. <laughs> well, uh, Guinness, Guinness the cat is my special guest here tonight. Um, oh, okay. So we've both got cat. Michael, have you got a cat there with you? I don't have a cat, but you, you mentioned cats, but I'm assuming that what I could hear in the background was some South Shield seagulls. Um, oh, you might do. E- either, either that or you've got Hitchcock's The Birds playing in the background. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yeah, uh, I really liked Baby Driver, and I'm, I'm a fan of Edgar Wright in general. I think um, Spock Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is a little bit underrated, if anything. Yeah, that was, and that uh, was just going to mention that was a film that apparently Tarantino really liked, so no surprises there. No surprises. Is that Edgar Wright? Yeah. It is, yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Okay. I would have been interested to see his take on Ant Man as well. Um, he was all on board for that. He'd yeah. written it, he was directing it, and then they took away the writing credentials from him, so he decided to sack off the direction. Uh, which not is fair enough, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah, Baby Driver, excellent film. I mean, you've seen this as well, haven't you, Clive? I have, yeah. I pretty much agree. I, in While I was in the cinema, I was absolutely loving it. And it was like afterwards when I thought about it that it dropped a point or so. <laughs> I think it was probably a nine when I came out. And then my, my main gripe was, um, like, like Michael mentioned, the one-dimensional uh, romance thing. That was definitely very one-dimensional. And yeah, some of the, the plot stuff didn't bother me as much because I thought it was just a bit far-fetched in general and I was more in it for the style, but I thought that one thing did take away a yeah. little bit. But I loved the um, premise of the guy just constantly having his headphones in because it, it was quite, um, in a strange way, relatable because I spend probably 80% of my life with my headphones in, <laughs> which whenever I'm doing anything, I've got my headphones in. So I was like, ah, and I have tinnitus as well, although that's not the reason I put them in. But right. still, it was, uh, it was quite... Uh, I don't know what a lot of people probably would have thought. This is ridiculous. No one has their headphones in this much. So I'm probably close to it, <laughs> <laughs> except for when I'm speaking to people. You know, that's just rude. But yeah. <laughs> and I'm taking it you wouldn't do it while you're driving because it's obviously no, ma- massively dangerous. But uh, no, I wouldn't do it while I was driving. I'll just play the thing on the stereo, you know, because that. Yeah, exactly. 
would have the same effect, surely. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we're largely on the same page when it comes to. Uh, but it is. It's just so so slick. I was I was expecting to like it. I liked it a lot more than I did because I've not. I didn't realise um, Scott Pilgrim was an Edgar Wright film actually. Um, if I had, I would have probably gone into it with a bit more because I've not massively liked all the other ones. Just because I'm not really a huge. Uh, he directs the ones with Simon Peggin, right? The, he did uh, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz. And yeah, you the, see those I've never well got massively into. But I think that's mainly because I'm not. I don't really like Simon Pegg that much. <laughs> I just don't think it's that funny. Um, so yeah, but I, this is probably my favourite Edgar Wright film, along with Scott Pilgrim. It's highly recommended and particularly recommended to go see it in the cinema. Mm. Cool, excellent. Um, right, which means we're now round to Al in South Shields with those famous seagulls. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> yeah, they are huge, by the way. Um, Ellen, I was from the south, and um, she was shocked by the apparent. Apparently the seagulls up here are a lot bigger than southern seagulls, which, you know, figures, you know. None of these soft, numby-pumby southern seagulls. <laughs> these seagulls don't fuck about. Yeah. Well, in fairness, they probably live off a, you know, a, a diet of about ten bags of chips a day. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And no wonder they're so huge. But uh, they've, evolved, they've evolved to be able to fly ah, ten bags of chips a day. Well, so that, that's why they've got bigger. That, that's a nice tie-in with what I'm going to talk about, because we're going to talk about some other evolved animals here. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about uh, Worf, the planet of the apes. Oh, uh, the, the, the Seamless. Um, the third in the ex- so far excellent Planet of the Apes reboot series. Um, it's directed by Matt Reeves, probably best known for Cloverfield and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Stars Andy Serkis, uh, Woody Harrelson and Steve Zahn who, if you don't know, people might know from Treme, among a few other things. Essentially, if you haven't seen the other Planet of the Apes films, it's a little bit difficult to understand, but essentially, Andy Serkis plays Caesar, who is a highly evolved ape, who was given, experimented on, and is basically as intelligent as a human while maintaining ape-like abilities. The rest of his clan of apes have now got the similar disease as such, which makes them highly intelligent. And at this point in the series, mankind is all but wiped out, thanks to the simian flu. And um, it's now a war between the humans and the apes for control of the planet. I mean, first of all, you've got to say Andy Serkis, the absolute king of motion capture. I don't think anybody... I mean, you, this is the guy who's been Gollum, he's been King Kong, now he's been Caesar. In fact, he was he was a Sith Lord in the recent Star Wars films, and he'll have a more prominent role next time, I think. Isn't he getting typecast a bit? <laughs> what typecasters? what anything as, he as wants? As the motion picture guy. Uh, well, he is def- that is definitely happening. Motion capture, capture, capture I suppose. Yeah, well, I, I, I suppose he is, but nobody does it better. Um, Why is he? I don't. I've always found it quite weird because it's like, surely it's. I suppose because he's having to make movement of things that aren't necessarily human. Mm. It's being being good at that is probably quite tricky. Or is he just really good at acting with loads of balls on him? <laughs> well, I think it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, but I think also right. also he's um, he's one of the key investors in a in a pioneering company, so possibly he's demanding roles. Oh himself, well, but 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 however, <laughs> well, at least he can pull them on. <laughs> I've yeah. got absolutely no problem with that because I've got to say he is sensationally good in this, and I'm gonna I'm not absolutely not the first person to say this, but I think he deserves proper recognition for his performance in this. As in, like, I would say it would be unfair if he wasn't nominated for some awards. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, I mean, it's, it's easy to say, well, you know, he's not doing the performance, it's, you know, motion capture, but I've seen ex- experimental videos where they show at the start of the performance, 
him just as a human doing the performance and they build up the layers of animation on top of him and you can see that it is his performance it's just a, an, an interactive costume he's wearing mm. um i mean he, he brings a kind of a, a sort of right really sort of solemn wrought humanity to yeah. an, ape, an ape character and um it's a bit like a sort of modernized version of uh, the person wearing that alien costume in alien isn't it well, yeah, but even more so because his 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 personality, his his facial features are evident in Caesar. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, um, as far as the rest of the film goes, it's it's a continuation of what's a very impressive series. I clearly inspired by the Dark Knight trilogy in terms of you know taking what could easily be a camp shtick and sort of turning it into a sort of dark, uh, politically motivated sort of thriller series, really. I mean, Woody Harrelson plays the role of a colonel who is a, a kind of a mad Kurtz-like colonel who's trying to do battle with the apes, and he's um, he's pretty good, but he's probably the only real criticism I have of the film. Uh, but the rest of it is a, a superb sort of like politically charged film, and just like the old Planet of the Apes movies, uh, they're clearly kind of almost allegorical for you know political. Um, Political sort of disavowalment, you know, it's uh, racism. It, it, you can you can reflect a lot of things with these films. And Steve Zahn, as well as the comic relief called Bad Ape, is excellent. Bad um, Ape. Yeah, that's what he's called. <laughs> uh, he's yeah. I really really enjoyed this. It was a thrill ride from minute one to minute minute whatever it is. And <laughs> <laughs> done your research. Yeah, done my research there. Hang on, you know what? You're gonna find out for a fact. Minute one forty. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna edit this out, Al. One forty. Yeah, I'm not gonna make you sound slick. Um, but yeah, I absolutely loved it. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say it's as good necessarily as the last two, uh, but it's certainly yeah. not significantly worse. Uh, okay. And it's not afraid to make decisions narratively that could harm it as a future franchise without spoiling anything else. Yeah. And it's also not a film that really gets caught up in huge action set pieces that aren't necessary. Um, that I mean, with a, with a film that has war in the title, that could easily happen. Uh, but it maintains the humanity, funnily enough, in a primarily ape-charactered film. Um, and it's just it's just really well characterised. You know, um, mm. all of the apes have a unique character, and that's I don't know who to thank for that—the direction, the performances, or you know, the animators. But um, it's just a really good film series. I mean, it, it's kind of like, in the same respect, Baby Driver didn't blow me away. Neither does this, but it's just really, really good filmmaking. You know, this blockbusters mm. the way they're supposed to be done, uh, which doesn't insult its audience. You know, expects that you can connect the dots yourself. As I said, Andy Serkis deserves so much credit because he's he's clearly a really good actor, and really, I've only seen him, I think maybe once or twice, just as himself in a film. And I'd like to see more of that, to be honest with you, because he's clearly got so much range. Um, I think perhaps because he isn't as photogenic as some actors, that's perhaps why he's, you know, using his actual ability in mocap. But I, I don't know. Um, anyway, yeah, this is a continuation of what's an excellent series, and uh, I would strongly recommend it if you haven't seen the other ones. Um, I don't think you have, Michael, have you? No, I've never really... I mean, I'm almost apologetic in saying it because I know how big a fan you are of these films, but I've never mm. really bought into the concept, personally. Um, can't exactly well, put my ne- finger on why I'm just struggling to, to buy it. No, no, I absolutely get that. When when the first one came out, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, I was totally sceptical, and I had no intention of going to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I saw a few reviews come in, you know, fours and five stars, and I thought, 
okay, maybe I'll give this a go, and it just it just worked. Yeah. I mean, and I had no problem signing up for the other two films, and yeah, it, they might surprise you. I would say certainly, you know, if they're on TV or something, or you just get a chance, you've got a few spare hours. You might surprise yourself. Uh, I mean, they've got pretty much, aside from Andy Serkis and the motion capture actors who perform the apes, they've got a different cast each time as well. Yeah. You've got James, Frank, James Franco in the first one and Draco Malfoy, I forget what his actual name, Tom Felton, I think. <laughs> um, in the second one, you've got Gary Oldman, um, among others. I forget what the name of the other guy is. In yeah, this, they are. Oh, yeah, there's the South Seal Seagulls. Yeah. Are they in your flat? No, but the back door. The back door that literally is, did sound like the birds. <laughs> yeah, the back door is open. That's why. Um, okay. Planet, planet of the gulls over here. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, I would highly recommend this. Have you seen any cool. of these films, Clive? Um, yeah, I was just going to ask because the reason I haven't rushed out to see this in the cinema is a because the people I normally go to the cinema with, for some reason don't want to see it. Um, I really want to. I'm going to go on my own, but I want to see. I assume it's useful to see the ones before. I I I, I would say necessary. Yeah, that's why I've kind of not gone yet. I, but I, I have seen. I think I'm assuming it's the first one of the. He's Rise of the Planet of the Apes, so he's like locked up at one point, and it's kind of where he really becomes yeah. the sort of leader. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah, I think I've seen that one. But then, how many others is there? Just another one. Yeah, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Right, which I heard was good as well, and I missed it. Yeah, okay. So I'll watch that, and then I'll go watch this. This is a cinema film as well, so so I mean, I imagine it'll be around for a while. But if you get the chance to see both of them before and then see mm. this at the cinemas, you'll you know yeah. it's it's gorgeous. It looks amazing. You're gonna cool. see a big advantage from that. Awesome. Right, I'll watch. I'll watch the second one. I'll catch this in the cinema. In the series, I'm all planned. Um. Apparently not at the minute, but um, Andy Serkis has said that he'd be happy to do more. But it's interesting to see where they'd go without spoiling the plot. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Definitely happy that um, yeah, these whenever they come out, people seem to think they're solid. So that's always good. And yeah, I like I liked the first one. I'd be happy. I'd be happy to see a musical reboot in the vein of the <laughs> Simpsons joke. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh my God! I was wrong. It was Earth all along. <laughs> yes, you finally made a monkey out of me. <laughs> Among other classics, uh, the Tro- Troy McClure-centric episode of The Simpsons, a classic, okay. an absolute classic. Right over my head, but I'll get your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, from two blockbustery films to a unblockbuster. Block, the, 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 unblockbustery <laughs> film, um, The Red Turtle, which uh, me and Cable went to see uh, probably about a month ago. It probably wasn't long after the last podcast, which is an anime. Um, I've not my review on this isn't particularly massive because it's a really hard film to talk about without talking about plot points and things. It would be kind of a fascinating film to review as a film of the month at some point because I'd like to get into some discussions of what certain things mean, but. Uh, <laughs> I'll review it as best I can anyway. Um, it's a co-production between Wild Bunch and Studio Ghibli. Wild Bunch, I believe, is a fr- originally a French studio. Um, directed by Michael Dudok DeWitt and produced by Toshio Suzuki, who I think is a producer of many of the famous uh, Studio Ghibli films, as far as I'm aware. Um, the film tells the tale of a man who becomes shipwrecked on an island and meets a red turtle, basically. Um, it's gorgeously animated in a very simplistic, almost sort of... Um, quite old style, like it's uh, 
pretty sure it's hand drawn, um, with really muted colours, which is what's slightly different about normal Studio Ghibli films. They're quite um, colourful normally. This one's a little bit muted, which is I'm assuming is the effect of uh, DeWitt and his direction. It has absolutely. Like, I didn't know this when I went to see it. It had no dialogue whatsoever. It follows the man on an island, and it kind of uses that to represent. This is what it meant to me, anyway. The milestones in someone's life of his time on this island. Um, it's really. I don't want to go into it too much because it's. I think it's one of those films. It's best going into not knowing a lot. But it's a film that it's just really ripe for discussion of its themes and the points that it makes. But yeah, I absolutely loved it. I think um, it's a little bit like a great album where you're not sure what the lyrics mean, but you kind of create an interpretation of what it means that suits you. And uh, I think that's something that's quite rare in films because I think in films it's often like, this is what it means, deal with it, or anything visual. <laughs> that is often the case. Uh, <laughs> whereas in music, that's less so. Um, so I really like that about it. Um, but it's one of the, it's definitely one of those films that I think some people will come out going, oh, that's some artsy bollocks, um, and won't like it, and we'll kind of call it boring and uneventful. And I wouldn't, like, I think you've said this on numerous occasions, Al, I wouldn't say those people are wrong, necessarily. <laughs> but um, I found it really, really interesting. It just, while it was on, it, it just made me, it just made me, like, really reflective throughout the duration of the film. I think it's about an hour and a half. Um, probably more so than any other film this year, just about life and all its the meaning of certain things and all that stuff. And yeah, it's definitely a favourite of mine, along with the next one I'm going to talk about this year. Probably my top two at the minute. So I am a big, big, big fan of it. It's, like I've said, absolutely gorgeous. Um, the fact it has no dialogue is pretty unique and works brilliantly, in my opinion. Um, and it's just a really, because of that, there's so much of it. There is some music, but it's a lot of it is just silent and like, um, you know, the noise of trees or uh, sort of atmospheric sounds and that really makes it more like I don't know there's just loads of where there isn't a lot happening but it makes you think more about it in a strange way it's meditative is probably a, <laughs> a good way to describe it um so yeah I really really loved it and I hadn't really heard of it I know it's um it was nominated for an Oscar um along with my second film that I'm going to talk about actually neither of them won it but um Zootopia won this is better than Zootopia as is my second one uh but yeah really really good has anyone else seen this or heard of it? No, really, really wanted to see it. Um, I heard it reviewed on uh, a different podcast, and it was it got a glowing review. Did Commode like it? Yes, he loved Is that it. That the one you talked about, yeah, it. yeah, I seem to yeah. yeah, yeah. It was. Um, I'm not really. Um, I've only over the past year or so really watched a lot of like, Studio Ghibli films. Mm. Um, in fact, the most recent one I watched was Princess Mononoke, which I loved. Um, so I really wanted to see this. You need to but see that. Uh, predictably, it wasn't on uh, at the multiplex chain that I pay a monthly fee to, and I was tempted to just buy a ticket for it separately at the kind of local mm. kind of um, independent cinema, uh, but I just didn't get around to it. But um, this will definitely be something I'll be seeking out at some point. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's definitely beneficial to watch it in the cinema, even though it's not. I don't know, not cinematic is not the right word, but like you know, it's not blockbuster in any way or <laughs> actiony. But I still mm. think it gains from. Even those silent, like atmospheric sounds, are so much better in the cinema, and it's more like, I don't know, it's a bit more magical. But yeah, I think you'll still get a lot of it watching it wherever. I just think it's a really good film, but it's one you have to sit down and realise there are going to be points where you're thinking, where your mind's going to wander, if you know what I mean, because there's not that much going on. But that towards the end of the film, I don't know, it just kind of sucks you in. At the start, you do think like, oh, what's going to happen here? And then it sucks you into its kind of pace, or it did me, and 
you come out of it thinking, wow, that was really special. So it's a real sort of singular standout film for me, which is great. Yeah, I am. Um, I mean, I, I, w- which Studio Ghibli films aside from this have you seen, Clive? Um, I've seen Spirited Away, My Neighbor Totoro, which I'm both I'm a big fan of both of those, and I think that's it. Well, I'm halfway through watching The Tale of Princess Kaguya. That's Studio Ghibli, right? Yes, I think, uh, I which I'm really so, enjoying. Yeah. But we've just yeah, it's really long, and me and Cable didn't quite get to finish it last time we were watching it. <laughs> but I'm really enjoying it. Um, that's also got gorgeous animation. So I'm actually gonna this holiday. I'm planning to try and watch as many Studio Ghibli's and just Japanese animes as possible because I'm liking it. Although this one is, um, I think, more French than Japanese. I don't really... I think it's very much a collaboration of the two. It's not like a Studio Ghibli, just a Studio Ghibli film, if you know what I mean. Mm. I think uh, the French studio had a lot of influence on it as well. More produced, maybe, by Studio Ghibli and made by (laughs) this French studio. Uh, Yeah, but yeah, really, really good. Fantastic. Michael, I take it you haven't seen this. I have not, no. I mean, the only one of those films I've heard of that were mentioned is Spirited Away. And I haven't seen that either, so... Um, but I, I know it's considered one of the best films of this of this century so far, so... Yeah, I mean, my, my personal favourite would probably... Would probably actually be Princess Mononoke, the most recent one I've seen, but... Um, yeah. I, I really want to see this. Um, it looks gorgeous from the, the trailer I've seen. It is. It's yeah, really, really pretty, and like, but like I say, kind of quite old style animation. But it looks, mm. yeah, it's really, really gorgeous. And the way it uses color, like a lot of the time, it's quite muted. But then in certain scenes, it becomes a bit more uh, sort of bright. And there's a lot of sort of um, not hallucinations in it, but sort of things where it's like, well, what did that mean, and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's really, really interesting and one that once you've seen it, I'd love to have a discussion with you about it, about what you think it means and what certain things. Yeah, cool. Excellent. So go check it out if you can. <laughs> I imagine it's one of those films that'll come out a lot in those, you know, the cinemas that get stuff late and are a bit artsy. Yeah, the little ones. I imagine a few of those will be picking this up. So if if that does happen, go and see it. I think I will. I'm I'm definitely interested. Cool. Right. Let's get this train rolling back down to Eagles Cliff. Um, <laughs> Michael. Yeah, I mean, if anything, this is where the bird noises should be coming from. Let's face it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no bloody. Well, eagles are quite elusive, so <laughs> well, I'd be yeah, impressed if there's an something. eagle making a noise outside. <laughs> Unless it's the giant like animatronic. Mechanical or otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll talk about two other films that I've seen. Um, I'll talk about them in a more brief fashion each. Um, the first is 2001 film, The Man Who Wasn't There. Um, the very smoky neo-noir from the Corn Brothers. Uh, speaking of the use of colour, this is presented in black and white, um, which feels very right when you see the film. Uh, stars Billy Bob Thornton as Ed Crane, a small-town, small-time barber of very few words in 1949 California, whose life winds down a sort of crazy, absurdist path after he concocts what, even by the standards of Corn Brothers films, is a disastrous plot which also embroils his wife, played by Frances McDormand, who has been really great in all the Coen Brothers films I've seen her in, and also James Gandolfini doing James Gandolfini things in this film. (laughs) Um, And also a 16-year-old Scarlett Johansson. Uh, This is the youngest uh, I've seen her in any films, I believe. Thornton's excellent, um, perfectly cast as an unexpressive hero who is drawn into a tremendously twisty plot 
Um, you can never be quite sure where it's going next. And I would say this is um, this is classic Corns, although probably one of their more overlooked films, I would have thought. It's certainly not one that I'd heard of before I started looking into them properly, um, with, mostly with Alex's assistance. I know he's a huge fan. Um, and I've, I've seen, I've, I've counted them up, I've now seen nine Corn Brothers films, which isn't even close to all of them. Um, but the only one that didn't, I didn't have any great affection for was True Grit. So this is this is another one that I was a big fan of. Um, don't know if anyone wants to add any thoughts to that before I go on to the second film. Um, well, I really like True Grit, but um, I, can, I can see why it's not as classically Cohen. Yeah, I agree. I also ha- really like it, but it doesn't doesn't have the same kind of edge of kind of black humour that maybe the others do. Mm-hmm. But I still thought I still thought it was a pretty good western. Yeah, I thought it was kind of more, a little more like fun than a particular revolutionary or anything, whereas the other ones have a bit more style to them, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I um, still think... But, uh, sorry, go on now. No, no, Karen, you finish your point, sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say that um, I've not seen loads, but I really liked Inside Lewin Davis. Um, I always forget which films I've seen are Coen Brothers films, but uh, <laughs> uh, I think I've, I've, I've enjoyed most ones I've seen. I've, just, I've only seen like three, I think. So I need to catch up on that. My my, my favourite is still Fargo, um, which I think it is the ultimate Coen Brothers film in the sense that, you know, a really, really stupid plan goes awry in a horribly comic, blackly comic way that you could never have seen coming and then just descends further and further. Um, which is pretty much, and it, much what happens in this film, the man who wasn't there. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a common trope in their films. Yeah. I mean, aside aside from that, I'm a huge fan of No Country for Old Men. Uh, I was a huge fan of the book. And while it's not comic, the film, the whole tropes of the film are still Cohen-esque in the sense of, you know, a plan gone awry. Uh, and then rounding off my top three, probably The Big Lebowski, just because it's... Oh, uh, of course, that's classic, my favourite. Just a classic. <laughs> yeah. Miller's Crossing, I discussed on a previous podcast, that's really good. Um, yeah. And uh, we mentioned Hail Caesar earlier, I know I talked about it on our Best of Last Year show, but I yeah. thought it was hugely underrated last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, twud that it was so simple. <laughs> Lawrence Lorenz. <laughs> um, yeah, um, moving on to the other film that I've seen. Um, it's John Wick Chapter 2. The first John Wick film, I thought, was a very well-made, brilliantly-paced franchise curtain raiser, which was centred round some very compelling action set pieces. I thought it was ultimately, ultimately anticlimactic, but... Uh, very promising uh, for the potential of a franchise, which was clearly what it was geared towards. And I saw comparisons before I saw it to um, The Raid, um, the so far excellent series of uh, Indonesian martial arts films. Um, so it billed as America's answer to that. Um, I didn't think John Wick was as good as The Raid, the first film, but bearing in mind how I thought The Raid 2 really ramped up from the, the first Raid film, I thought there was potential for John Wick to do the same. Um, it sees Keanu Reeves as John Wick, this film, drawn back into um life of crime that he seems incapable of escaping from and venturing to Rome. Uh, Ian McShane returns, and this film also stars uh, Lawrence Fishburne and Common, who've become involved this time. Uh, it's been acclaimed by critics and fans. A lot have seen it as a big step up from the first, which is exactly what I was hoping for. But I'm afraid to say that personally, I just didn't get it. I thought there were some interesting ideas... Uh, I thought they were largely half-baked, though. Um, and I didn't really find anything interesting in the action pieces in the film after seeing it all done in the first, really. Uh, I didn't think it progressed on from that. 
Uh, I thought Reeves was looking quite old in the title role. Um, <laughs> I thought most of it was... Uh, the, I mean, the set pieces were clearly very expensive, clearly very visually impressive, but in terms of action, I thought they were quite dull. Uh, it's age, it seems like ages in the film before anything happens, and it didn't have the brilliant simplicity of plot that the uh, the first <laughs> film seemed to have as well. Um, so I, I really wanted to like this, and the, it's clear from the ending to this film that the franchise is going to power on, and it certainly should from the praise it's had. But um, I think I've, my interest has probably fizzled out now. Um, I, I wasn't a fan. No, I haven't seen this. I, I was. I saw the first one with you, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was just a lot of fun. Mm. And um, while it wasn't quite America's answer to the raid as it was billed, yeah, it was hugely enjoyable. Still, um, I don't know why I didn't see this. You've said it's been critically acclaimed, but the only two reviews I saw of it were um, mediocre. I would have said right. It's had, it's, know, it's had some good reviews, and for, just from looking around on the internet, it's had a, a lot of grassroots popularity. People seem to enjoy it, so. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Fair. I mean, it, it's something I'd, I'd probably watch if it was if it was on. Yeah. I just didn't seek it out at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just disappointing, really, uh, for me. Yeah. Um, I, I respect the fact mm. that other people have enjoyed it. I'm glad glad that they have. I don't know. Have you ever heard um, Keanu Reeves being interviewed? I mean, in recent times. No. He's incredible. Um, I actually did hear an interview when he was talking about um, John Wick Two, and. It's probably worth seeking out on YouTube just how eccentric the man is. <laughs> right. Um, I can't really describe the way he talks, but he talks. Whoa, 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 whoa. He's, he's, you know, he's special in a lot of ways, and this is a man who takes himself. I can't tell if he takes himself really seriously or not at all seriously. <laughs> right. Uh, Blurring <laughs> of the lines. Yeah. Have you seen any of the Jock... Well, have you seen either of the John McFilms, Clive? Um, I've seen the first one, yeah, and I enjoyed it. It was fun and kind of ludicrous, and you kind of watch it just for the set pieces and, you know, the plot and everything's just a bit ridiculous. Mm. <laughs> but, um, I, yeah, like Michael says, I, re- I thought the action scenes in it and stuff like that were really well done, and it felt a bit like... It felt a bit like a superhero film to me, and what I wish a bit more of them did in that, it, you know, it's a bit of a smaller plot. Not like mm. the world's gonna end, um, and it just. But it was focused on just making really good action set. Heavily stylized, I think, is a good way to put it, isn't it? Just mm. for. I think I would. I would say like obviously, the fact that clearly, even though he is technically in peril in terms of the plot, the John Wick character, he's, you never suspect that he's in any peril. And that doesn't no, matter. No, that no. doesn't matter as long as the action scenes are gripping you. But I felt like. That started to that fact started to drain something away from this mm. once once they weren't interesting to me anymore in this second instalment. Yeah. I think for for me, I was like the actions. I was never. I never thought he was going to die, but because this is in the first one, I'm not seeing the second one. Um, it was more the like visual impressiveness of it exactly, that made yeah. me think, oh, this is really cool. But then, yeah, if that goes away, then I can imagine it pretty much loses everything because at no point are you going to think he's actually going to die. So (laughs) you kind of got to hang on something else, which I think they did in the first one. I think they just went for having these really cool stylized set pieces, which worked. But, yeah, it sounds like it's gone. I've not been particularly keen to go out and see this just because I only just saw John Wick 1 and I was like, "Eh, you know, I know it's going to be more of the same. I'm not 
I think it's one of those I'll probably see in like a year or two or something when it appears on Netflix or something and give it a go. Yeah, just check but, it out at some point. Yeah, ma- yeah. massively. The weird thing about this one was I wasn't even aware that it existed until it started being advertised on DVD release for Father's Day. I didn't see any information <laughs> about a general release at all, which I thought was quite strange. But It was a bit odd, yeah. I don't remember seeing any like... I knew about it because I'd what, look, seen what releases were coming, but I don't remember seeing much in terms of like posters on buses, no. which you normally see a lot of in Sheffield. Yeah, because I probably yeah. would have gone to see it, but I had no idea that it was out. Cool. Um, we're back round to you, Al. Right, okay. Well, I'm going to talk about um, It Comes at Night, uh, which is best described as a kind of psychological... It's not about horror. a seagull, is it? <laughs> no, they come at day. <laughs> uh, uh, psych- psychological um, thriller, chiller, um, written and directed by Trey Edward Schultz, who uh, has only made one film film before this. Um, probably his, I would say, best-known work, but certainly his biggest-name work is as an intern on Terence Malick films uh, recently, uh, Tree of Life um, and The Voyage of Time. Uh, this film stars Joel Egerton, Christopher Abbott, Carmen Ajogo, Kelvin Harrison Jr. and Riley Keough. I'm mentioning everybody there because that is literally the entire cast, and it would have felt it would have felt somewhat wrong to um, miss someone out. This this is set in a clearly post-apocalyptic world, but we're given very very little information. Joel Egerton is the patriarch of a family who live in the woods. Um, at the start of the film, this is minor spoiler, but very minor. Uh, they're forced to execute and then bury uh, the grandfather of the family who is ill with some disease that has obviously decimated human society and is highly contagious. Uh, they live a solitary life. Par- paranoia is basically their base emotion. And at the start of the film, a fam- they eventually invite a family in to live with them, having been very suspicious. And this film is as a, it's a horror film which is as much about what you can't see and what you don't know as what you do know. It's this kind of a a film that is a master at creating tension, so an ever-foreboding sense of palpable dread in the audience. And I, I was really, really surprised and gripped by this from, from the first frame. Um, it's a beautiful-looking film, elegantly put together, and you can tell... I mean, Trey Edward Schultz is a former cameraman, and you can tell that this is a guy who... Not, he's not only talented at directing, clearly, but um, understands the composition of a shot. Joel Edgerton is on fine form again. In, I would say this is the second kind of thriller in recent times that has taken me by surprise, along with The Gift that he starred in. Also, it's another film that has been marketed incorrectly starring Joel Edgerton. The, again, The Gift. The Gift uh, was marketed as a you know horror slasher when it really wasn't. And this has been marketed as pure horror when it's not. Um, it's not a surprise to tell you that it's you don't really see what comes at night, and you don't really see. You know, it's more about what you can't see, allowing the audience to run away with their imagination more than anything. And um, it's this is a really good film, and I think it's. I mean, it's been reviewed well, but I would say possibly underrated. Um, I've heard it compared to a recent release called The Witch. But I can't remember if anyone saw this on the podcast. I really wanted to see it anyway. Um, this is just masterful filmmaking, and I think this should be. I think it probably will gain a cult following. Um, but that's just me. I really enjoyed it anyway. Um, I thought the performances were. Too, well, as I said, there's only about six people to the cast, but I thought to a man or to a woman they were superb. 
and it's it, it's as much about the relationships between the characters and their suspicion of each other, finding little inconsistencies in each other's story, or um, you know trying to preempt what the other person might do, despite them all being essentially good people just looking out for their own survival, um, that makes this one gripping and dripping in tension. Um, mm. I would strongly recommend this to anybody who likes likes a good kind of horror thriller as such. It sounds good. I'd not really, I'd heard of the name, but I didn't really know what it was about. So, yeah, you've intrigued me. It's, it's one one I'll add to the list. I've just seen it still on at the cinema around here. So, it, it, it's really, it, it. it, it's really good. I mean, um, I've heard some people call it uh, underwhelming in the sense that a lot of what is kind of built up doesn't necessarily dissipate into you know full horror. But that wasn't a problem mm. for me. I would much rather the film leaves it to my imagination than. You know, just throws some jump scares at me. Yeah. As I said, this isn't really a horror; it's more of a thriller, and it's it's an interesting take on the kind of survival horror kind of um, you know post-apocalyptic story, uh, where you don't really ever find out what the issue is, and you don't see the remainder of society. You're seeing it through this one prism of a little part in the woods where two families are living. Yeah, and it it's really really good. I'd be interested to see. What Schultz makes next. Um, yeah. Really surprised by this and really, really enjoyed it. Cool. Yeah, sounds interesting. Have you seen this, Michael? No, but I mean, Alex has sold it to me just by mentioning the gift, really. Because uh, yeah, as soon as he mentioned Joel Edgerton, I was thinking, well, I wonder when he's going to get to write another film because the gift was superb. Um, and I know obviously he hasn't written this, but um, what you've basically described there, Alex, is uh, exactly how I like my horrors. Pretty much what I'd dis- talked about when I'd seen the Blair Witch Project on the podcast, horrors where you don't mm. actually see yeah. the thing that's that's causing the horror. Um, they're usually the Same. best. So yeah, I'll, I think I'll have to definitely see this. Yeah, I mean it is really good. I mean, um, I think and one thing that's really I, I briefly mentioned it there. Something that really impressed me about this is essentially all of the characters are very normal people, and like you get to find out about their backstories. For instance, one of them is a history mm. teacher. And they are good people, but they're forced into a corner and they have to make decisions between surviving and, you know, yeah. having a meaningful existence. You know, are they prepared to do things to ensure their own survival, but that would make them live a terrible life? Anyway, yeah, very strong, very strong film. Yeah, cool. Interessant. Um, right, well, that leaves it around to me with another... Uh... <laughs> Something very different to that. I'm going to talk about my life as a courgette, or uh, as it's called in America, my life as a zucchini. Is that how you pronounce it? Um, I assume so. Not sure. Yeah. I know it's on the Wikipedia article. It keeps changing its name from zucchini to courgette uh, on a regular basis. Every time I've checked it, it's had a different name. And there's a discussion on the bottom where the guy's current argument is, this was released in England as my life as a zucchini, so that's what it should be. I was like... Um, not in England it wasn't. In America it might have been. <laughs> so, yeah. The argument, the argument may continue. Um, it's a Swiss and French stop animation film directed by the Swiss um, Claude Barras. And when I went to see it, I had no idea there was this much Swiss Swiss involvement in it. Um, <laughs> it was only after, after I looked at the Wikipedia article that I realised all this. Um, it's the second adaptation there's been of Autobiographie d'un courgette. By Gilles Paris. That's my terrible French accent there. Um, I liked it. Ikare, the film's protagonist, who is called, um, gets called Courgette by his mum, befriends a 
policeman called Raymond and is taken to a foster home following the death of his um, alcoholic mother who was previously looking after him. Um, the film essentially just covers his days in in this foster home surrounded by children who've kind of equally sad stories to tell about how they ended up there. It's claymation animation, like I've said. It's absolutely beautiful. They've got these really distinct faces, which you'll have seen on the poster. The poster is quite uh, bright and colourful, and it's really what made me want to go and see it. The whole film is incredibly colourful, and that sort of juxtaposes nicely with the somewhat dark and sad subject matter. Um, obviously, it doesn't look at all realistic, but beneath this kind of exterior, this animated exterior, is, is actually a film that the dialogue and stuff and the way the children act, I think, is very raw and realistic. It's not ever over-dramatised, even though they've had these, you know, they've come from these really dramatic conditions, a lot of them, how they've ended up there. And it doesn't really have any, like, big Hollywood moments. It's just a very simple tale of, like, the yearning for love, both from family and friends. It's only 65 minutes long, and I think that's perfect. I'm so glad they didn't just drag it out for no is that apparent all it reason. Is? Only 65 minutes? Yeah, wow. and I remember being surprised when I saw that. And I think everyone should watch it. It's a contender, along with The Red Turtle, for my favourite film of 2017 so far. I just think it's this wonderful little uh, film that's kind of... I don't know, it's just so simple and raw and doesn't ever like i say there's no real hollywood moments or anything but it's just a piece that makes you think and puts you in a position that you've probably never really considered what uh, <laughs> life and what what goes on in a foster home in particular but um it's fascinating and it's really really well done and kind of very um empathetically done as well um mm. it'll make you appreciate your family all the more and it was also nominated for um best animated feature along with the red turtle and i think both these are better than zootopia which I, I liked Zootopia, it was fine, but I didn't think it was doing anything new. I just thought it was... Whereas I think these two have got something genuinely singular or unique to add to the, you know, animation genre. I don't think Zootopia did. So, yeah, I would really, really recommend this. I actually saw it in... It's originally in French, because it's French-Swiss, I believe. Claude Barras certainly sounds like a French-Swiss name. And I, so I saw it with subtitles, but it, is be, it has been released in the cinema, um, but I missed it with English dub and I think I know Ellen Page did one of the characters but so I'm going to go and see, I'm going to see that when it comes out on you know the high seas or Blu-ray I'll probably end up buying it on Blu-ray because it'll be it'll be in my top five I'm sure at the end of the year so yeah I'll be interested to see what that one's like but the, certainly the French uh, dub <laughs> not French dub the French subtitled version was yeah was really 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 good and I just thought it was there's not tons of dialogue and it's just really quiet and Dif- definitely different to uh, the Red Turtle in terms of I think the Red Turtle is trying to make a massive point about life and this is a much smaller film in a way but um, also has a good message about you know the importance of family and just not necessarily even family just being loved or feeling like you know there's people out there that like you and it's yeah really really important film I think and I think everyone should go and see it. Excellent. And nowhere near as childish as you'd expect from the... <laughs> I think some people may think it's like, oh, this is definitely a kid's film. It's not. It's really dark. Kids will, I think kids will get a lot from it, but it's not, you know, a Pixar action-type film that's got loads of laughs, and it has very few laughs. But, but yeah, it's a film that I think kids should see for other reasons, and at most adults will really enjoy it, I think. So yeah, well done. I think this is probably the first Swiss film I've seen. So, good work. Wow. <laughs> cool, excellent. Yeah, I um, again, this is another one along with um, the Red Turtle that I wanted to see, uh, but d- 
didn't have well, a wide enough release for me to see it. Um, now that I'm closer to Newcastle, I probably could find films like this. Um, but it means, again, paying money for films when I already pay a certain mm. amount each month, which is annoying. Because, you know, I'd rather them show maybe one less performance of Transformers 8 or whatever it is <laughs> and just um, let me see something cultural. But, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> th- this is one I will seek out at some point. And I'm pleasantly surprised that it's only an hour long or however. Um, uh, yeah, I think that I think it's an underdone thing. I think films sometimes just think they have to be 90 minutes long and yeah. drag it out to that point for no real reason. It's like, no, you don't. Um, I've seen recently... Shinkai, who's a director that um, it's a anime director that Cable pointed me towards, who's brilliant. I mean, it's all his films are in terms of just the animation and the sort of drawing style. It's absolutely beautiful. Probably the most beautiful anime director there is. And sometimes uh, the stories are pretty tricky to get around. I mean, so you've seen your name, haven't you? That was Shinkai. Yeah. Um, he did. He does a film called Garden of Words, which is great, and it's only forty-five minutes long, and it does not need to be any longer than that. So yeah, I think sometimes it's underrated making that kind of decision because I think some people are scared of it because it's like, oh, making a cinema film that's only 65 minutes, people are not going to go and want to, not going to want to go and watch it because they don't feel like they're getting their money's worth. But I don't think it should be measured by, just like computer games shouldn't be measured by pounds per hour, um, which I get so annoyed when people do that. If it's brilliant, it's 80 hours long, so it's great value. Yeah. If it's brilliant and it's an hour long, you've had better value than if it's Charles long and shit, haven't you? So. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So... Mm. Yeah, so cool. Definitely go out and see it. It's really good. I'm not going to do any full reviews, but I'll men- mention two other f- new films I've seen, both of which are good actually. It's been a very high standard month. Uh, saw the new Spider Man film, Spider Man Homecoming. Just saw that the other day, yeah. Which I just thought was a lot of fun actually. Um, I haven't really been a big fan of the other Spider Man films, but I thought this one kind of just got it right in terms of the tone where, you know, I've mentioned before in the podcast that I'm sick of superhero films where. Literally the entire world is at stake every single time. And it wasn't in this, it was a bit more localised. And I felt that the character did suit the kind of the high school setting. It wasn't without its you know its flaws, but um, had a lot of fun with it. And then the, un- the other film I saw was Okja, uh, the Netflix film. Uh, didn't see this at the cinema, just saw it on Netflix. And it's actually a film that's worthy of a longer review. And I had to make a very hard Sophie's Choice to cut it from the two that I was reviewing. <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. It's a um, film which is by the same director of Snowpiercer. And it was, yeah, it's just a really, really good film, um, creating mm. a very believable creature. And it, it's somewhere between Spielbergian and, you know, that kind of classic kind of South Korean sort of like form of cinema that, that seems so alien to a Western audience at times, but it's, which makes it all the more fascinating. But yeah. Just thought I'd mention those two. Both very good. Cool. Yeah, I've seen. I saw Spider Man uh, a couple of days ago. I really, pretty much agree with you. Really enjoyed it. I thought the new um, Spider Man actor was really good. I've also not been a fan of the last two, or at least the last one, the one with Jamie Foxx, and I didn't like. And I thought this one was much better. It doesn't do anything groundbreaking, but I thought you know the jokes hit. It yeah. was a fun ride throughout, and it didn't take itself very seriously. Well, that's it, Spider-Man. It is hard to take Spider-Man that seriously, and it's better that he's a localised hero almost. That you know, Yes, he's fighting some evil dudes or whatever who are doing stuff, but it's not on a as grand a scale as the Avengers, and that, that that's yeah. right, I think, especially if you're going to have him as a 15-year-old kid, which is, I think suits suits him. Yeah, and I think it did well doing it, making it... It felt like he was learning as he went along. You know, He wasn't straight away this brilliant 
everything person. He was kind of yeah. a little bit more relatable, as relatable as a person yeah. who shoots webs around and <laughs> can I, I, but, uh, And I'm glad yeah. we didn't. I'm glad we didn't have to see another origin story as well. I'm glad it just started after he already had the powers. That was the, but, that was the other thing learned. I was going to say. It was interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I haven't seen we've... any of them, but is, is there is there um, sp- any Spider-Man fatigue yet? Seems like there's a film every year to me. I mean, I'm, I'd already know. Um, well, I, I didn't see the last one before this, and, and I'd, I'd only very briefly seen the one before it. Um, so not for me personally, because I wasn't that bothered with the other films. I only saw this one because it was being rebooted by Marvel Studios, who, while not being groundbreaking, are you know reliable filmmakers. They nearly always make solid, good films. Um, and I was rewarded. Yeah, same. It was... I think for me it's superhero fatigue in general, but this one was read so well. I was like, well, this might be one I like, so <laughs> I went and saw it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really want to see Okja. It's not doesn't seem to be on at the cinema anyway. Here, I'd quite like to go and see it in the cinema. No, I, I don't think it's on the cinema at all. I think it had a very limited oh, release, right, and then it's okay. a Netflix exclusive. It is really, okay. really good, um, and I can imagine it would be better on the big screen. But I didn't have the opportunity to do that. Yeah, sure. I wonder if how much of that is because it's just on Netflix and they know that a lot of people are just going to watch it on that and not go out. <laughs> Interesting discussion to be had there, isn't there, about releasing yeah. it at the same time? Yeah, there was a huge controversy at Cannes, Cannes Film Festival about that, but let, let's not go into that. <laughs> okay, for <laughs> another hour. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to do a quick... I think we've covered all the ones, though. Yeah, the Sp- has there been anything else out that you've watched? Uh, no, I, I wanted to see Wonder Woman because I heard oh, it was actually pretty okay. good, but I haven't seen it though. I just haven't got around to it. I noticed last night that um, Mark Kamod had included it uh, in his t- top ten of the year so far. I think only only ten to six had been published, but uh, yeah, pe- yes, it pe- was number ten. People in the uh, comments were very angry about that. Although people are very angry <laughs> in all comments, I think, but still. I mean, ugh, yeah. People were very angry when Doctor Who was announced as a woman. Oh God! For no, yeah. for no apparent reasons, so I yeah. imagine, uh, without uh, stereotyping, I imagine a lot of those comments were from similar types of people. Quite possibly. But, um, it was. I thought. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I went yeah. to see it a while ago, and it was. I thought it was enjoyable, and I thought it was refreshing to have a woman in the front row who was. I thought she was really good, actually. I can't believe that. that I mean, I, I don't like Doctor Who at all. Um, I Me neither. It, but <laughs> I find it cheesy, but I couldn't believe the uproar about that. You know, you're willing to buy into this a time lord who travels in a post box who regenerates into, into a completely different person each time, and that can't be a woman. I mean, seriously, you're a fucking reptile. Get <laughs> yeah. a life. I mean, I'm in agreement. I don't like Doctor Who really, but I I was happy that this had happened. I was like, how has this not happened before? There's been like 17 of them or something. How have none of them been women? There's just no plausible reason why it shouldn't be and yeah so i'm glad it, they've gone for it and yeah it's just interesting to see some i mean horror, isn't it i mean but it's, uh, i think things like this make hopefully normalize it a little bit more and the people who yeah. get uproared next time will be a little bit less uproared and might think about yeah i whether mean they should have been uproared in the first place <laughs> I, I, i'd be perfectly happy to see a female james bond i wouldn't have a problem at all but i can Same. i can see i can see the argument to keep that character male though because that's more definitive to me though whenever i've seen doctor who the doctor character isn't there's nothing about the how the doctor character acts that makes it necessarily male no and, totally not but i mean i personally i'd have no problem with a female james bond but it's just ugh, what an absurd argument honestly <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Oh dear, oh dear. But anyway, I think that uh, that about covers it. So yeah, there's been a lot of good stuff out. There's also been a lot of rubbish, I think. I've not seen any of it. Yeah, so. I've managed to avoid <laughs> most of that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, cool. Qu- just a little question for you, Clive. Um, All right, okay. Go for it. Um, the sun is being obscured by clouds, <laughs> therefore my, my sundial is not re- uh. revealing to me where we are in the time-space continuum. Could you help me out with that? Um, well, I'm on a, you know, as I'm on the front of the boat communicating via Skype, um, I've got a better view of the sun from here. Right, okay. And I can tell you it's pluck time! Ooh. At stickaroundcast on Twitter, stickaroundpodcast.com on the internet, slash stickaroundpodcast on Facebook, slash stickaround on Patreon if you want to throw money our way, slash stickaroundpodcast on Instagram. I'll put some pictures up there. I think it's been a while since we've put anything up. Slacking. Um, uh, we, Gmail. We, 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 Actually, we just put one up during this recording. So. Oh, sweet. Well, there we go. Yeah. Alex Wayne's keeping it fresh. Stick around. Where was I? It was, uh, Gmail. Gmail. Stick around yeah. podcast at gmail.com if you want to send us emails about you know, how brilliant we are and all that kind of stuff. I should probably check that email at some point, actually. Maybe we've had a, <laughs> maybe we've had a glut of messages and I've not been checking it. Um, but, yeah, it's. Well, I think we're back with games if we're... Working in, I believe so, the right order. Which I've just received Splatoon two, very much enjoying it. So you might get a review mm. of that. I probably might not have finished it, so it might be more of a preview. But um, yeah, be cool to speak about that. Um, thanks for coming along, Al. Thank you, Clive. Thanks for hosting. And thanks as always, uh, Michael. You're welcome. Thank you. Some uh, good reviews there, and lots of stuff that I haven't seen. So which is not what I was expecting. I was expecting. Most of the stuff I'd seen. Um, so, yeah, I'll be checking some of that stuff out. Cool. See you guys later. Or hear you. No, we won't hear you. You'll <laughs> no, hear no. us. Yeah. Later. That's just... Oh, that's call the whole thing off. This is a one-way. A one-way <laughs> <See> thing. <laughs> see, you, see you later, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Stick, Stick around. around. Stick around. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening Rest assured that you have found The best podcast in the universe It's Stick Around